All right. Hi, everybody. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dustin Tizik, who is the VP of Marketing and Growth at Jostle. And Dustin is a converted salesperson and currently VP of Marketing and Growth for Jostle. He co-hosts, he's the co-host of People at Work podcast. His career definitely hasn't been a straight line. With time, he spent, uh, he, with time spent in marketing and sales and business analysis across healthcare, ed tech, HR tech, and e-commerce. It's been an interesting journey so far. And he's always looking to learn more and try new things. So, Dustin, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paris. Looking forward to this one. Yeah. You want to just tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So, like you said, I, I'm Dustin. I work at Jostle now and lead the marketing team here. Um, before that, I actually was in sales for a little while, mostly because I did a psych undergrad. And there's not much you can do with a psych undergrad when you start looking for jobs. And sales seemed like a natural fit and was something I enjoyed. So did that for a few years, um, made the transition to marketing, decided it was more up my alley. So went back to school, launched my own little e-commerce business. Um, so kind of taught myself actual marketing and got an MBA in it at the same time. Um, and that really set me up to start at Jostle as originally the third marketer there. And then within a few weeks, just by happenstance, the other two moved on to new roles. And I was left with this marketing department of one um, and been there for six years working to help build the company and build up my team. And now we're a team of seven, um, hopefully eight soonish. So it's been, been a cool journey for sure. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Jostle and what problem is Jostle trying to solve? Yeah, so Jostle, I would say we're a reluctant intranet. So we're trying to make intranet software something you actually want to go to and where you connect your people, which traditionally it hasn't really been. It's kind of been a, a place where you dump files and people go occasionally to get lost and find something. So we're, we're trying to change how that is and be that one kind of go-to online place where all your people connect for everything they need. And I'm curious to know, Dustin, about how um, this last year or so with the pandemic and this new age of remote work has uh, just has impacted the, the whole space um, just because p uh, businesses cultures have changed so much. How has that affected Jocelyn and the, the, the category as a whole of, of co company intranets? Yeah, no, that's a good question. There's definitely been more interest in the space as people have had to go remote. But the switch has been more from, so before the pandemic, it was very much workflow. How do I do business processes? How do I complement the office space? Now it's, oh no, we don't have a water cooler. Where are my people gonna connect and actually feel part of their culture? Um, that's kind of been our focus all along. So in that regard, it, it kind of helped us a little bit. And the switch to remote work is, is something we definitely help solve. Um, on the other end, it was a rough time for some customers, of course, because we have so many different industries. So a lot of the time was spent supporting our customers and, and helping through it and working with them. Um, just, you know, certain industries got hit very, very hard. So that was a big focus for us. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a bit about the composition of your customer base uh, in terms of industry? Yeah, so the short answer is it's all over the place. Um, you can name pretty much any industry from tech company to small church in a city in the US, like it's across the board. Um, I'd say the one big bucket industry that stands out is professional services. So 
accountants, lawyers, consultants, that sort of stuff that or real estate that are all kind of dispersed and need a place to connect. Um, we do quite well there and help solve a lot of problems in that space. But really, any company, any industry from 15 employees to tens of thousands, it's, it's a super wide customer base. Mm -hmm. And I guess on that note, I, I have been through the website and I've, I've really looked at the different types of flows of uh, really conversion flows on the website. And I see that there is two primary calls to action. There's get demo, which is probably for the larger the larger leads um, where they might need a more high touch sales approach. And then there's the try the try jostle call to action, which is a more of a product led growth approach where um, that's the option that I took because I wanted to just get in and kick the tires. I'm curious to know of uh, just your overall traffic about how much of that converts through the self-serve product-led growth avenue versus the people that would opt more for getting a demo with salesperson. Yeah, that, that's a really good question too. So in our space, we're, we're I think we're the only one that actually has a try, like trial approach. Um, so it is kind of new and something we launched a few months ago. From a starting point, um, most go that route. So 75, 80%. You nailed it that it does differ by size. So if you're a 5,000 person company, you're probably going to go the sales route first. If you're 15, you're almost for sure going to go the trial route. Um, we don't have many that convert like fully touchless and just email us and say, I'm ready to go. What actually happens is they start a trial, play around, get value, either hit their user count threshold, which is one of the triggers we have in there. So if they hit over 15 users um, or they just get enough value out of it, and decide I want to pursue this further, they then usually book a sales demo and go through, I would say, a bit of an expedited sales process. Um, so we still have sales involved, but it definitely speeds up the sales cycle and gets people into our product and invested in it quicker, which I, I think nowadays you really need that. Like I, I hate starting with a sales demo. Maybe it's just me, but I, I think there's others like me. So this gives them that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's, there's there is a movement in B2B SaaS in general that is shifting more towards product-led growth, uh, not not as a, a pure uh, substitute for a sales demo approach, but just as an alternative avenue, because I do believe that as users feel savvier, they, they feel like, hey, I just want to get my hands on this product. And, and, and if it does solve that main pain point or those couple of things that I really need, I can get to that answer quicker on my own by just playing with the product rather than sitting through a, a sales demo where uh, I might be showing a whole lot of features that I don't even need. Uh -huh. um, the other thing that I find very interesting about product-led growth is that from a marketing data standpoint, you're able to, you're able to use all the signals and the, the, just engagement signals as data. And, and if you can correlate certain usage of the product, particularly in the early hours or days of, of uh, signing up, then you can you can communicate appropriately. I mean, if, if there are certain signals that would predict that somebody's gonna quickly reach the threshold of 15 employees, or they'll, uh, it's predicting that there's a high likelihood that they're gonna become a paying customer in the near future. You can trigger remarketing campaigns. You can, you can approach them differently through email nurture campaigns. Or you can simply just bid higher in the first place in your ad platforms for those people if you're able to bring the data back in as an imported conversion into the platforms. 
Have you done any of that stuff? Yeah, we have on the email side for sure. Um, so all of the emails that go out are tailored based on actions they've taken in the platform and us recommending actions they haven't, right? So some of the key ones are, have they branded their intranet? Which is, it seems simple, right? Adding your colors and your logo, but that just the fact that you did that and then added a couple people, there's more intent. Those people are more likely to convert. Um, so on those initial emails, we can tell, have they taken that action? Mm -hmm. um, if not, promote it, tell them the value of why. If so, go on to kind of the next trigger point, which is maybe starting a premium trial or adding a user or maybe some admin feature that once they get that, it's kind of a differentiator. So we have a, a workflow that kind of branches out in a bunch of different steps, depending on what they've done. Um, and that's been working pretty well so far. On the remarketing side, we do a little bit of it. Um, we can do more for sure and bring in the like the conversion data. Uh, part of what we're waiting for there is we're three months in, so it's still kind of new. And those who started three months ago on their free account, I think maybe now we almost have enough data to start doing that. Um, but it was a bit of a data collection exercise at first, for sure. Yeah, it, it certainly does require a certain volume of data to, to make that work um, so that the the, the platforms, the ad platforms, can the machine learning and the, the AI side of things can, can do their exactly. job. Yeah. I'd like to ask you about the content. It looks like you have two, two major uh, aspects of, the, of content strategy, which is the blog and the podcast. Um, am I missing anything or? Um, Th those are the two main ones. The other one. Is, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, th those are definitely the two main ones. The third that we've been doing recently, um, we call conversations at work, but it, it's a conversation-based webinar rather than a sit there and mm -hmm. listen webinar. So more of a round table almost. Um, so that's something we've been doing lately as well. I'd say those those are the three main ones for sure. How do you think differently about those? Those are very different in terms of uh, format and experience. How do you, um, you know, basically how, how do you create strategies, unique strategies for those and, and how do you measure their success uniquely? Yeah, so the, the blog one, just because it's quite traditional and people have been blogging forever, uh, that one's a little bit easier to kind of strategize and measure for sure. And that's a mix of us providing content that is not built to rank whatsoever. It's just to provide value to our subscribers and provide education and information. It's a mix of that, but also sprinkling in those, hey, we'd love to rank for this keyword. We want this to be an evergreen piece and we want to build up our SEO traffic and doing that around keywords that are kind of adjacent to what we do, right? So me trying to write an article on best internet, there's no way I'm going to rank for that. Like it's, it's going to be ads, Captera, G2 crowd, and then if I'm lucky, I'll be bottom of first, maybe second page. So instead we focus on internal communication strategies or employee engagement skills, like that type of stuff. Um, and we build topic clusters around that in our link on, the, our, on our website between those where it makes sense um, and kind of build that out as we go. So I feel like we've gotten that down to a bit of a science for us at least. Um, and we've grown blog traffic, I think six times over the past three years. So we've seen some really solid traction there. The podcast is much more nebulous. Um, Podcast data is well, well behind kind of internet browser traffic data. Um, so we use that more as a relationship building piece to meet people who talk about and care about the same things we care about. Um, we do see they then come back as either listeners on our other things or potentially guests on a panel we run. 
Um, but the podcast is really a provide value, make relationships, and totally not a lead gen play at all. Mm -hmm. Is there any uh, repurposing of podcast content into blog posts? There is, yeah. So we always do a brief little summary, um, pull out a couple clips usually, and then have a blog post. Uh, it does help us. So we have a, a small content team. And when I say small, it's one person. Um, and we publish usually three articles okay. a week, uh, which is a lot for one person who's also writing website copy and doing a bunch of other stuff. So we're big on repurposing the podcast, repurposing webinars, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, great. And um, and then you have the new the new roundtable. The I guess it's it's webinar, but you're you're trying to make it more of an open open discussion. Yeah, exactly. We don't use like so Zoom webinar. It's kind of just a Zoom regular Zoom that that people can unmute, speak up, etc. Yeah, and, and and how has that been so far? It, it's been going pretty well. Again, that one's definitely not a lead gen exercise. Um, it's more just providing the content, but it ha we have built up people who will show up to each one, participate, um, suggest ideas for the next one, or if we send out a survey, they actually take part and we're able to work with their suggestions. So building up a smaller intimate option in that way is nice. I mean, there is the, the pre-COVID more traditional play where you would do that kind of city to city and you'd bring people together and do round tables that way. Totally not possible now. Um, but this is kind of a nice alternative to have that more intimate approach and actually get to know people. Um, but yeah, it's, and the other side benefit is it's actually a great source for topic ideas for the blog, right? Someone will in conversation mention something and we're like, oh, that would be a great idea to write about or focus on. So multi-purpose for sure. Yeah. Have you ever tried doing any live events, Facebook Live or LinkedIn Live? We haven't. No, we've we've kicked around the idea of that. Um, if we did, it would probably be something like streaming to YouTube. I would, I would think. Um, yeah, I. The, my biased opinion: LinkedIn Lives drive me nuts. <laughs> it could just be me. I think they work for some people, but just every time I see one pop up and it triggers a notification, I'm like, I I don't know if I want to do that to a bunch of people. Um, so yeah, we've we've kind of stayed away from that, but it, it is something we yeah. have talked about for sure. We're we're about to do our try our first one in in a couple of weeks, and um, it's new territory for us as well. I do agree that that pop up. I, I get a lot of those pop ups too, and and um, very rarely do I interrupt whatever I'm doing to, to to hop in there. It kind of feels a little bit like the clubhouse notifications now too, which are starting to get a little bit overwhelming for me. Um, but uh, anyway, I think we're just gonna we're just gonna experiment with that and see uh, how the dynamic is is different in a in a live For setting. Sure. Yeah. Um, but in general, I see that this more conversational, recorded conversational marketing seems to be really what people like now. Whether that be video or audio, podcast related, I think Clubhouse even is starting to prove that that people um, maybe. As they feel a little bit more isolated in, in work environments, that um, they really do like to talk and just to listen in on conversations and um, and to, to to maybe to reconnect in a way yeah. to to not only to their colleagues but to the broader business community. Um, and I think you don't get that in the same way when you read a blog post as opposed to when you're actually um, just just listening to people speak and deliver that same content through a conversation, through a spoken conversation. 
and whether there's video or not, I mean, I think video in some cases can add to that experience. But I think the essence of it is audio right now. Yeah, I, I would agree. In order to in order to like to rebuild that feeling of community. Yeah, I've I've been really exploring a lot lately, particular audio strategies for companies that are looking to solve the same problems that Jostle solves. Um, we we launched an internal podcast here recently, and um, and we use Wooshka, which is a really cool tool that can do that and create private podcast feeds for our employees. And, uh, and it's been really successful so far, um, just especially for new, new people that have onboarded during this last year. And very few of them have, have even met their other colleagues yet in person. Yeah. And so they feel very disconnected to the company culture. Um, they never did have the office experience from, from pre-pandemic days. And this podcast is a way to help them just, just plug in and feel like they're still a part of something. They really have joined a real company. <laughs> this is not just something that feels like another freelance project for them. Um, but yeah, I think I think audio in particular is is especially effective here because with video, really, it's it's really just talking head video, and, and so you, it's it's not adding that much to the experience. Yeah. But 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 the conversation is the essence, which is audio. Yeah, and I think there's a the extra benefit of you can just listen to audio everywhere while you're doing something around the house or you're driving or cooking dinner or whatever. And there's something about that that is A, easier to digest and B, maybe a little more personal than sitting and staring at someone on the TV. Um, and the fact that if you get someone to spend three minutes on a blog post, you're probably pretty happy with that in most cases. Um but you'll get them to listen for 45 minutes of a podcast. Like it's just an entirely different medium in that way that, yeah, definitely makes more of a connection, I think. Yeah. Um, so given where you are right now, and, and it sounds like, as you said, reluctant intranet. Um, it's, so it's, it's very interesting because I really, I love to explore this, this notion of adjacent adjacency. Uh, adjacent keywords, adjacent intent, and it's a, it can be a challenge. Um, if you go after those big trophy keywords like intranet, um, you're probably going to wind up just overpaying for for competitors that um, are just are just slightly better positioned to to exactly deliver that that kind of intent. So, um, how do you determine when an adjacent keyword is really effective? Um, other than the obvious way, which is just simply by the conversion, the cost, the cost per conversion, other other signals of adjacent intent that tell you that this is where we can both we can meet them where they are and then kind of take them over a little bit to our side, given given what they might be looking for. Yeah, there's a few that are maybe a little more analytical, and a couple that are totally anecdotal. Um, and the more anecdotal one is just looking at our customer base, what they're interested in the type of content they're reading, what they're clicking on, we send them emails, that sort of stuff to get a feel where, okay, this is this is our buyer, our ideal customer, what do they care about? Um, so that that's one way for sure. The other one where we decide if this, if this makes sense to go after and try to rank for, I guess, is, is it a topic that we feel we can kind of own and always show up for? Because then it starts cascading out. Like we obviously look at, Will this potentially convert? Is it something they're interested in? But also, is this 
a topic cluster, a topic group we really want to own. Um, so teamwork and internal comms are two we very much focused on because they come up in every mention of our customers. Like that's what they use our product for. Um, and we really doubled down to try to focus on those and show up for most things related to those two keywords when you when you Google them. So th that's been our focus for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very curious to, to hear specifically about the Jostle TV yep. feature. Um, what's the uptake on that? How, how are people using that? Yeah, for sure. It's so our take on that, because digital signage has been around forever, right? And it's kind of our take on internet as well, is we want things to be easy, quick, automated. Um, so Jostle TV, instead of building a slideshow and like mm -hmm. casting it to a TV, um, it's algorithmic. So it takes into, this is the location the TV is in. We know it's a break room, so people will be in there for 15 minutes, so we can show longer clips, and these are the things they care about, and it will keep track of what's been shown so it doesn't repeat. Like It actually has that intelligence built in, which is quite unique in that space. Um, so we found pre-COVID, definitely uptake on that was better. There's, <laughs> there's less offices now, right? But it was always, it's almost always used in, pla in yeah. places where people might feel a bit disconnected. So one of our prime examples is um, an aircraft company and people working in the hangar day to day, completely in their own bubble, right? It's very hard to feel connected. Um, so that company is using Jostle mm -hmm. TV so they know all the company news, what's going on when someone's birthday is, when someone got hired, anything that they want to share. They can just, on their break or while they're working, take a quick glance up and actually feel part of the company. Um, so that's that's kind of the use case I think that really solves. Mm -hmm. I've um, I've just uh, stumbled into the competitor the competitor page and um, do these and and this to me is um, I think I have to imagine that there's going to be a lot of keywords where you have I don't know Jostle versus Facebook Workplace that's what I'm looking at right now. And here you're you're really trying to call out the differences between that kind of experience and what you all have. Are these effective? Do you use these strategically as um, as landing pages? Because because I know there's a lot of there's got to be a lot of search volume where you have people looking at competitor uh, competitor review competitor name plus reviews or competitor name plus pricing where you know they're not already a customer because of the search term. Uh, how do you think about these? These how do you position these competitor pages in your in your marketing? Yeah, so you're totally right. We use them in very specific granular campaigns. So um, take workplace by Facebook for example. A lot of search volume. It's Facebook, right? Lots of people looking for it. So we do really only focus on people who are showing intent to potentially switch. So um, workplace by Facebook alternative or competitor, like those very very specific keywords. Um, it's less traffic, but it's higher intent traffic that has a better ROI for us. So those are the ones we focus on. Um, on those pages, though, I we're currently working on what we do next there. Um, and I do think just after seeing people have competitor pages on us as well, right? Like our competitors will have us versus Jostle. And it's just easy for them to get out of date or have incorrect info and it just feels disingenuous sometimes. Um, so we are rethinking how we do that. And I, I think the more fair kind of honest approach would be, and the one we're going to go to is what is the high level 
difference. Like this type of competitor is great if you have an IT team and you're going to build everything from scratch. If you're not going to do that and you want something up and running quick, we're probably a better fit. Here's why. So I think that type of comparison is the direction where we're planning to go a bit more. Yeah, yeah, because I think it is tricky territory and it can backfire yeah. if it seems disingenuous where um, you have cherry picked certain features to to compare totally. with, you know, yeah. when, of course, uh, a lot of these pages, your column, you're checking all the boxes and your competitor's column checks some boxes, but most of the time they, they can't. Yeah. And and a savvy user can see that, uh, well, okay, which 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 features have you chosen as the ones that, that I should care about? And is this actually what I'm looking for? But I like your approach better, which is just, as you said, just a little bit more of an honest approach that said, hey, if um, Facebook Workplace, if, if you, this is for this type of an organization, if you really, if you feel like your people want to have a, an experience that looks and feels like Facebook, you know, that that's why they built this product. But if you want to have uh, X, Y, Z, you know, d different different type of experience. Um, that's that's what we're here for. Yeah. yeah. But I do see this across lots of SaaS categories, and I and I and I see that it's usually quite effective too, um, where you can identify combinations of either combinations of com competitor A versus competitor B, or you have like a competitor A plus a term that indicates that they are, are either looking to switch or they're looking to. They're doing, they're doing research at the bottom of the funnel. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I do think the the volume of people who do that is slowly lowering as things like G2 crowd or G2 get bigger, right? Like I think those are starting to be the places people go to compare just because they know it's a little more neutral than than like the, the competitor comparing. So I, I do think that is the way it's going more and more. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention that G2's own rankings for all those keywords organically is getting stronger and stronger. So they're just organically scooping up so much of that traffic that they're becoming the go-to place, which is, it's kind of a self, uh, self-reinforcing thing because then that just further improves their SEO, which, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, G2 and G2 and Captera, I think are pretty consistently now the go-to places where people are looking for objective comparison. So if you as a brand are trying to do that, it's going to be seen, Always, it's going to be seen as a biased, totally, yeah, as a biased approach. Yeah, that's why I think it has to be couched in that yeah. humility of we're not the best fit for everyone. We get that, but if you're looking for this, we're, we might be a better choice. If you're looking for this other thing, maybe the, these competitors would be better. And like we do that on sales calls occasionally, where we just know it's this giant RFP with all this custom stuff, and we're a little more turnkey, and we can say, hey, this probably isn't the right fit. Why don't you go check out competitor A or competitor B? Um, so I think why not replicate that on the marketing side as well? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, Dustin, uh, I guess the final question for you would be: What is there anything? Is there anything really new or or big in the marketing sphere that you're working on that you feel is going to help you break through and get get to that next level in the next say six months or so? Yeah, I think it, it's something we already started and you mentioned a bit, and it is the product led growth approach. So. It's new to us and we're running experiments and trying to figure it out as we go. Mm -hmm. I think the more we can crack that and the more we can provide better, more intelligent in-app guidance that provides value and is super contextual, um, I think that will just help speed up 
the amount of conversions, the the speed, the cycle as well, the sales cycle. So that is going to be one of our primary focuses and something we're doubling down on. Um, because we are, I think we're at the point where really, if you're looking for an internet, you're going to find us. We're going to be one of the top ones advertising or showing up. Like it's going to be hard to miss us. So we just want people to come in and have a great experience and realize how easy our product is to use. So I think doubling down on that is, is going to be our go-to for the next six months or so. Excellent. Dustin, is there anything that, that I didn't ask you that, that you wished I would have asked or that you would like our audience to know? Um, no, I guess the only one and shameless plug for our podcast is if you're into uh, kind of workplace matters, employee engagement, internal communications, uh, I do co-host people at work, which is a podcast that talks to experts on those topics. Um, so yeah, I, if you are interested in that, definitely check it out. Great. Yeah, no, no problem at all. I'm, I'm going to also have a look at that. And um, well, this has been great, Dustin. And thank, thank you very much again for the time. I think uh, what, what you all are doing at Jostle is great. Um, I think it's a great example of how you have adapted in this last year to um, a pretty dramatic change in, in um, the, the way people think about work and connecting um, with their own colleagues and, and the culture of their company. And so um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what elements of that will remain permanently and what elements would, might, might revert back to pre, pre-pandemic days. But it seems like you've got a product well positioned for, um, for any of those outcomes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think it's going back to normal like it used to be. So I'm super curious where, where work is going to end up in a year. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, thanks again, Dustin, and um, looking forward to keeping in touch yeah, with you. Thanks, Paris. That was a lot of fun.